Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Amen. Tonight, as you have a seat, go with me to the Gospel of John. And we're in John chapter number 21, verse number 15 through verse number 22 tonight. This is following Jesus, part number three. Now, like I mentioned, if you haven't heard the first two parts of this one, I encourage you to get a hold of those, but don't worry, we will review and catch you up to where we're at tonight as well. Tonight's message will stand on its own, and you will be blessed. Following Jesus, part number three. I, just before we get into the scriptures, I just want to remind you of where we've come so far, kind of the context of what we're talking about. We, remember, we were talking about Jesus. After he raised from the dead, he appeared two times to his disciples. They were in a locked room. And Jesus just shows up right in the middle of him. His new resurrection body and the power that he has over the natural things is just amazing when you start to look at what he can do. He he just shows up. It's like, beat me up, Jesus. Here he just shows up right in the middle of a locked room. Freaks everyone out. And so he says, peace, be still. You know, it's me. It's the Lord. They're able to touch him. They're able to handle him, the Bible says. He, He eats with them to show them he's not a ghost, right? He's got flesh and bone. He's eating. And then Thomas, remember, wasn't there at the first meeting. So Thomas gets to show up at the next meeting, and he's able to put his hands and, 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 and feel the nail prints and feel his side where the, the, the spear pierced him in his side. And he falls down before him, and he says, my king and my Lord and my God. And he, Jesus says, blessed are you who believe, but blessed even more are those who have not seen and yet believed. And so he tells them, I'm going before you into the region of Galilee. I want you to meet me there. So they go up there. And remember, they're, they're there by the lakeside, and this is a bunch of old fishermen kind of a a rusty crew, you know what I mean? It's been three and a half years since they've actually had the business going, and there they are by the sea, and they're waiting for Jesus. And Peter, being one of the leaders of the group, probably uh, the most prominent leader, steps up and says, you know what? I'm going fishing. And it was almost like everybody was kind of waiting for someone to say it, and Peter's just bold enough and blunt enough to say it. And so they all jumped on, we're going with you, right? They get into the boats, they head out, and all night they fish, and they catch nothing. Not a thing. Not one fish. They've got big nets. They've cast in. You know, these guys had a business. These guys were, were the best of the best, and yet they didn't catch anything. And, and Jesus shows up on the shore, and he says, my little children, have you any fish? And they say, nothing. And he says, cast it on the right side of the boat. And so they launch out for a catch, and there's so many fish that it starts to pull them down, and they have a flashback, I believe, to the first time they encountered Jesus, and that happened. And Peter told them, away from me, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Here, he reinstates them. Here, the one who rejected him three times before the rooster crowed now is having a flashback moment. I am a sinful man, but but it's Jesus. It's the master. He launches out into the water and swims to shore, and the other guys come pulling the, the catch of fish, 153 fish. They're pulling up on shore. They counted them all later on, right? And there Jesus is cooking breakfast for them on the shore. And they have a moment with Jesus. Jesus starts to talk to them. Jesus starts to reinstate their purpose. And we pulled out some truths from these scriptures that if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to first of all recognize his person. We have to realize who he is, that this is no ordinary man. This is God in the flesh. This is he who is dead and now is alive. This is the ancient of days, the Holy One of Israel. This is the majestic God now in the form of a man that showed up and walked among us. He tabernacled. He lived in this tent of flesh, but it's still a holy God. We have to realize who he is. We have to remember his power. 
Just like the disciples did when they caught all those fish, they remembered the first time and probably consecutively just had a little highlight reel of the past three and a half years when Jesus touched the casket of the widow Nain's son and he popped up out of that thing. When he went into the little girl and said, Talitha Kumi, and she raised up from the dead. When they experienced his power and his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. All these things that happened, they probably had just this highlight reel of deaf eyes being opened. I'm sorry, deaf ears being opened. That'd be kind of crazy, deaf eyes. But deaf ears being opened, blind eyes being opened, people standing up and walking that were lame. All of the things that Jesus did. We have to realize and recognize his power, remember his power. And last one was to remain in our purpose. What are you doing going back to fish? I've made you fishers of men. And in his purpose, last time we were together, we talked about this, that he feeds. Jesus cooked breakfast. He's the one who feeds us. He is the bread of life. He gives us the things that not only feed us, but also remember he fuels us. That the things that go in from the Word of God now are our purpose, yes, but also our passion. They're our drive. They're the energy. It's the gasoline that's fueling our lives. And He finishes. Because He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we concluded last time with this, that we, our job, if He feeds, He fuels, He finishes, then we follow. This is following Jesus, part number three, John chapter 21 and verse number 15 through verse number 22. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Verse 18, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Verse 19, this he spoke, signifying what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. If you read up on the life of Peter, Fox's Book of Martyrs, the tradition is, is that Peter was crucified. But Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord was, so they crucified him upside down. See, he was taken where he did not want to go. Following Jesus cost him his life. He was martyred. Verse 20, then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, who also had leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Verse 21, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Verse 22, Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Everybody say, follow me. We're talking about following Jesus tonight. As I read through this story, I saw that Jesus was not only just reinstating Peter's purpose, that there was something that was going on that was deeper. Jesus was setting up structures. Jesus was making sure that Peter understood some things about his purpose. Remember, Jesus is the one that feeds. He fuels, right? He finishes, and we simply follow. 
Jesus told Peter his story from start to finish. When you were younger, you did what you want, but guess what? When you're older, you're not going to be doing what you want. Someone else is going to be clothing you, and someone else is going to eventually take you where you don't want to go. Jesus was revealing to him the life that he was going to live. I read a quote from Oswald Sanders. He says, the word disciple means a learner, but Jesus infused into that simple word a wealth of profound meaning. As used by him and Paul, it meant a learner or pupil who accepts the teaching of Christ, not only in belief, but also in lifestyle. I love that. I love that. It wasn't just a mental thing, not only in belief, but also in lifestyle. It means learning with purpose to obey what is learned. Let me read that to you again. It means learning with purpose to obey what is learned. In other words, the intent of being a disciple was that I'm not just going to learn this up here in my head, but I'm going to learn this so that I can do this. It's like on-the-job training, right? Especially with a dangerous job. You think about like an electrician, right? If you don't do this right, you could get electrocuted, be shocked, and die, right? So when you're learning, you're learning with intent and purpose to obey the rules that surround conducting electricity, right? Same thing if you're working in, in different environments that there's dangerous things going on, uh, sharp metal objects flailing around or, you know, different things like that. You could be crushed underneath. You would learn with the intent that I don't want to die, right? There was a purpose for that. In, in other job situations, you're learning with the intent that you can make money. That's a good motivator, isn't it, on the job? You should be making money on the job. Anybody can say amen to that, right? All right, good, good. I'm glad there's like three or four people that like making money here. The rest of you guys, wake up. Whoa, come on. But here's the deal. You're learning with intent to obey because if you do a good job, you can make money, right? Or you're learning with intent so that you don't get hurt while you're making money. But see, the disciple is learning with intent to obey what is learned. It involves a deliberate choice, a definite denial, and a determined obedience. Once again, it involves a deliberate choice, a definite denial, and a determined obedience. Tonight, I want to just take those three things as I look at this story of Jesus and this interaction with Peter and how it involved these three things that I just read. First one is a deliberate choice. Being a disciple of Jesus, following Jesus, is a deliberate choice. This doesn't happen just because you were born into a home that was called quote-unquote Christian. It doesn't happen because you were born in a quote-unquote Christian nation. I believe there is no such thing. It's not about the location. It's not about the family association. It's about for every individual a deliberate choice. We all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we will all stand there alone. It will be our life that we give an account of to God. Our parents will not be there to say, well, I raised them the right way, God. You've got to let them into heaven now. We were Christians. We made the decision, so you've got to let them in. That's not going to happen. There is accountability for every single person on this planet individually. doesn't matter what nation you are from. The political leaders of our nation are not going to go before God and say, well, we were Christians. Everybody in our nation should go to heaven because they were born on our land. It doesn't work like that. We make choices. Following Jesus is not a family. It's not a nation. No, following Jesus is a deliberate choice, and you will know if you are a disciple or not. Amen. You will know whether or not you're a disciple. Many people in this room tonight could tell you the day, I can tell you for me, the day that I said I'm going to follow Jesus. 
I was raised in a quote-unquote Christian home. I was born in this nation. But there was a day that came that I remember my brother came home from a missions trip. He shared with me how they shared the gospel in the streets and in the squares of Europe. And he gave me a little Four Spiritual Laws booklet that talked about the gospel message and shared how to receive Jesus into your life. I'd been to church. In fact, I was a high school student at the time. I played in the band and the youth group and sang the songs of God. I could quote scriptures. I could do all those things. But that night, I went to bed and I was miserable because there was a holy conviction. There was a fear of God on me. I didn't know then, but I know now. And I was miserable because I realized something in my spirit, man, that I was dead. And yet here's my brother, and he's alive. Something happened to him. He was lit up. And that wasn't him. That wasn't his normal personality. He's very introverted, very quiet, but man, he was on fire. And, and, and my, my, my inner man recognized that and realized that there was a lack, that there was a, a God-sized hole on the inside of me, but I didn't realize that at the time, and so I went to bed miserable. Woke up in the mi middle of the night, and all I can describe to you now is that it was almost as if the Spirit of God was just hovering over me. Again, I was completely unaware of that. But I remember I, I went to bed in my clothes, and Every night before I got changed for bed, I would always check my pockets and take things out of my pocket. And I pulled the four spiritual laws tract out of my pocket, didn't even read it, just realized I'm miserable because I've never really given God all of my heart and all my life. I need to pray, and I need to give God my life. I need, to, I, I need this. I need what my brother has. I need, I need this thing. I need to follow Jesus. And so I prayed, and I was born again that night, August 17th of 1995. That's the day. But there are other people like my wife, other people that as they grew up, they grew up in church, and they always just kind of knew that they loved the Lord and always knew that they wanted to follow God. But as they became an adult, they realized it's no longer my parents' faith. This is mine. I'm choosing now on my own. And maybe they couldn't tell you the exact date that that happened, the exact time that they crossed over. They just knew growing up, this is how we live. But then there came a moment where it was, this is how I live. And they're currently and throughout their lifetime making the choice, a deliberate choice, to continue to follow Jesus. Not just because mom and dad did. Not just because brother and sister did. Not just because that this is the way, right? No, we're doing that because this is my choice. It's deliberate. It's intentional. It's what I I want to do with my life. It is a deliberate choice. The point of all that is that we know if we've made the choice to follow Jesus or not. Tonight, you search your heart of hearts, and if you know that you're following Jesus, then you know that you're a Christian. You know that you are a disciple. And so therefore, if you're searching your heart and you're saying, I don't know, we'll take care of that tonight. John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Look at that. Jesus is speaking. He's my sheep, my disciples. They know my voice. They can hear me. They can understand my direction. They can understand my heart. They know the tone of my voice. They know when it's me, and they know when it's not me. My sheep know my voice, and I know them. Now, we know that. That's, that's the easy part to believe, right? God knows us more intimately than we know ourselves. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. There is no thing hidden from his sight. And he is the one with whom everything is laid bare before, with whom we have to do, the Bible says. Therefore, he knows us. Look at this. And they follow me. If we know the voice of our Savior, if we're, well, then we're definitely going to be following 
her. Same tenor, Luciano Pavarotti. Many of you guys know Pavarotti, right? He related, when I was a boy, my father, a baker, introduced me to the wonders of song. He urged me to work very hard to develop my voice. Arrigo Polo, a professional tenor in my hometown of Modena, Italy, took me in as a pupil. I also enrolled in a teacher's college. Upon graduating, I asked my father, shall I be a teacher or a singer? Luciano, my father, replied, if you try to sit on two chairs, you will fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair. I chose one. It took seven years of study and frustration before I made my first professional appearance. It took another seven to reach the Metropolitan Opera. And now I think whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, whatever we choose, we should give ourselves to it. Commitment, that's the key. Choose one chair. Can I say it to you like this? Joshua said it to the children of Israel, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods whom you served on the other side of the river, or whether you will serve the God of Israel, choose you him you will serve this day. If it seems evil to you to this day to serve the Lord, then go serve the other gods. But if you're gonna serve God, serve him wholeheartedly. And by the way, he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jesus said it like this, no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll love the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and. Now he said money or mammon, but I would say you cannot serve God in your flesh. You cannot serve God and society. You cannot serve God in any idol, anything that could get away in your relationship with God. If we're going to follow Jesus, if you are a disciple, if you are a Christian, be that and be that only. You are not this and that. No, you are only that. If you gave your heart and life to Jesus and you're born again, the Bible says you're a new creation. You cannot be a new creation and a old creation at the same time. There's two natures at war. And either you're going to serve your flesh, serve your thinking, serve the devil and his way and the world systems, or you're going to fight the good fight of faith and stand up as who you are and follow Jesus. Will you be perfect at it? Absolutely not. Will you mess up from time to time? Yes. But dust yourself off, get back up. That's called repentance and turn God's way and follow God because that's who you are. You're a follower of Jesus. There's no kind of Christianity. Can I borrow Dr. Fred's phrase? You can't be kind of pregnant. Either you is or you ain't. He's laughing because he knows he said that a couple times. Either you are or you aren't. There's no kind of I'm kind of pregnant. No, you are or you aren't. There are certain things in this life that are black or white, right? It either is or it isn't. And being a Christian, either you are or you aren't. You can't be kind of a, well, I'm kind of a Christian. I'm a Christian, but I, no. You either are or you aren't. It's time for the church of God to get rid of hypocrisy, to, to lay down the facades and the masks that we wear and the things that we place because we like sin and we like the world and we enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. No, it's time to lay those things down. Are you going to serve the idols or are you going to serve the living God? Are you going to serve the dead old way of life or are you going to serve in the new way, in newness of life? It's a deliberate choice. Second thing for us tonight is this. It's a definite denial. It is a definite denial. There are things that we have to forsake when we come to Jesus. Like we've been talking about, we have to forsake the world. 
But not only that, we've got to forsake our way. Because otherwise, we're putting ourselves at a higher position than God. We're, we're setting ourselves up. And we're, we're wanting God to bless us because it's our way. God, I want you to do this, and I want you to do it this way, and I want you to do it in this time frame, God. And God says, let me be God. You, you be you. You be my servant. Follow me. Let me be God. Let me be the leader, right? And so we're going to have to forsake some things along the way. There is a definite denial. Remember Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? A lot of people think that he's asking, do you love me more than the disciples love me? That's not what he's talking about. Not in my opinion, at least. You're welcome to your own opinion. You can read the scriptures for yourself and come to a conclusion on this. Because it never really spells it out, right? Do you love me more than these? I don't think Jesus would pit the disciples against each other. Because they already had a hard enough time on their own, right? Who's the greatest? It's me. Is it, who's going to sit on his right hand and his left hand, right? Their mama's coming. Hey, go ask Jesus if you can sit one on each side, right? And then they're having a fight afterwards about it, and the disciples are indignant, and they're putting them down, and Jesus had to straighten them all out. Remember that story? So I don't think Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me more than these? No, Jesus wouldn't cause that division. He would not throw a grenade in the middle of those guys like that, Right? He just resurrected, he's reinstating them, and then I'm gonna pit you guys against each other and see if you can fight it out. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's saying, Peter, you just got done fishing. You pulled in a great big catch of 153 fish. I believe that Jesus said, Peter, do you love me more than these fish? You went back, Peter, but if you're gonna follow me, you have to love me more than you love your own interests. The old way, familiarity, what, what you used to be like, what used to bring you pleasure, what used to be your passion, what you used to be good at and got attaboys and pats on the back for. Do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me more than these fish? And Jesus asked him, do you love me? And he used the word agape, which is the God kind of love. It's genuine, pure love. And Peter's response was, Lord, you know that I love you in the friendship way, phileo. You know that I'm your friend, Jesus. You know that we're homies. So Jesus asked him a second time, do you love me, Peter? Agapeo. And Peter says, you know that I love you, phileo. We're friends, Jesus. The third time Jesus asked, Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? Are you my friend, Peter? That's why Peter was so hurt. Because he says, Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. You know I'm your friend. Peter, tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of the flock. Peter, I have a purpose for you. I'll make you a fisher of men. But you're also a pastor with a purpose. You're supposed to be a shepherd standing amidst the flock of Almighty God. Remember, he said, upon this rock I'll build my church, upon the confession of faith of who Jesus is. And Peter, you are Peter, you are the rock. And upon this rock, the confession of who I am as the Christ, I will build my church. Peter was the first leader, the first pastor in the New Testament church. He was the first one to stand up and preach under the anointing, under the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He got the privilege to be the first one to preach a Holy Ghost sermon for the entire church. What a privilege that Peter got. 
but he had to come to the conclusion, Peter, do you love me more than you love these fish? And Peter, are you really my friend? If so, there had to be a forsaking of his opinion, of his way, of his old way of life. He had to now follow in newness of life, in the new purpose, in the new passion. Very interesting, by the way, that Peter denied him three times and had to acknowledge him three times. Just let that kind of sink in and marinate for a second. Currently, Iran is said to have the fastest growing church, has no buildings, predominantly led by women. It's amazing. They had an interview anonymously with one of the leaders, and they said, disciples forsake the world and cling to Jesus till he comes. And they started to contrast this with the word converts. Now, the Bible does say, Jesus himself said, unless you be converted, all right, changed. But there's a push in mainline religions to get converts, all right? And so they're contrasting disciples with that idea of just getting people to make a quick decision, okay? So they said, disciples forsake the world and cling to Jesus till he comes. Converts don't. Disciples aren't engaged in a culture war. Converts are. Disciples cherish, obey, and share the word of God. Converts don't. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything else. Converts don't. Converts run when the fire comes. Disciples don't. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There has to be a definite denial that I'm not gonna do my thing anymore. No, I'm prepared to die. I'm prepared to lay down my life, whether that be figuratively or whether that be literally. I'm prepared to follow Jesus even if it costs me everything, my very life and my very soul. And you will know a follower of Jesus when they're ready at the moment's notice to give it all up at the beck and call of their leader. As the old song goes, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. Your yes to Jesus determines the no to peripheral things and personal preference. Last one for us tonight is this, is a determined obedience, a determined obedience. Remember Peter at the end of the chapter looks at John who is following Jesus, right? The disciple whom Jesus loved. I think there might have been a little bit of poking and prodding between the disciples just because they're men. You know what I mean? And men, when you get around men, there's this playful attitude that goes on like the fact that John recorded that, you know, they ran to the tomb and the one that Jesus loved outran Peter, right? He had to put in there, I made it there first, right? That's just human nature, I believe, popping out in the Bible and the biblical account. It is truth. It is a fact. But also, you got to put that fact in there, John. I mean, really, boy? you got to put in there that you, you, you raised Peter and you won? Okay, we'll give that to you. But then he did say that Peter just walked right in. You know, like, how could he? He just walked right in the tomb and looked around, right? And so here, he writes of himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Like, what, did Jesus not love all the rest of the disciples? John, what's going on here, man? So Peter... In this little playful thing that the, the guys all have going on, right, and they've already had competitions, things have been going on all this time, Peter looks over his shoulder, and really, he's just gotten a serious thing from Jesus. I mean, it was kind of painful. It was kind of hurtful, right? Do you even like me, Peter? Are you really my friend, right? And you, Lord, you know I'm your friend, right? And so he looks over his shoulder, and he sees John sitting there, and he's like, gosh, this guy. And so he said, Jesus, what about him, you know? Like, you're telling me i got to follow you, and, and someone else is going to gird me, and then they're going to take me where I don't want to go. You just read my mail. What about him, Jesus? And what does Jesus say? He looks at John, and he says, 
if it's my will that that guy never dies until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. In other words, Peter, that's Nunya. Some of you guys know what that is, right? And none of your business, right? That's none of your business, Peter. What, what is it to you if I will, right? Now, John has to go on later and write, now, Jesus didn't say that that was going to happen, right? But what if? He had to clarify it because some people thought that John was never going to die. And yet we know that John became an old man. He was the only one of the 12 disciples that was not martyred. Even though they tried to boil him to death, he wouldn't die. He had the revelation, he became an old man, and then he passed away. But he did see the coming of the Lord in the Spirit, in the book of Revelation. It's an amazing thing. But the point of what we're talking about tonight is this, is that regardless of what God is doing in the lives of the people around us, don't play the comparison game. It's very easy for us in church, very easy for us in our day of social media of comparing lives, whose vacation was better, whose lunch looked more appetizing, who had the better filter for their morning selfie, whose run was longer, whose guns are bigger after January into February, right? We play these comparison games all the time. We don't even realize it's happening until we're upset in the middle of the day over something stupid, right? You were having a great day. In fact, you would have been having a better day if you didn't open up your social media and look and see what everybody else was posting on their highlight reel. But you didn't see the sacrifice it took to get there. You didn't see how long it took them to save up to get that vacation. You didn't see the 16 filters that they put on that pastrami sandwich in order to get it to glisten and shine like that, right? Really, it was pretty ugly and it tasted nasty and they had indigestion afterwards and were in the bathroom for six hours. They didn't post that online for good reason, right? And yet we get all upset. Why? Because we said, Lord, what about him, right? Even in churches. Oh, my goodness. I was just at a conference. I was so refreshed. Because one of the pastors showed this beautiful video of their new campus, their new facility. It was great. Man, it had people packed out, balloons and celebrations, and great pictures of the new building, and their praise and worship team up there jamming and worshiping. And he says, I told my son who created the video, I want you to make us look really good. And so he did. He goes, well, let me show you the reality of ministry. And then he showed his Wednesday night service, and it looked like this service, empty seats everywhere. And I was like, oh, thank God somebody's finally being honest. You know what I mean? Come on. I, I'm so blessed. I'm so glad. And I don't care how many empty seats there are. I'm going to preach like there's 650,000 people in the room. Let's not be pretentious for a second. Let's take off the veils. Let's take off all the stuff. I'm simply here to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter if there's one person in the room or 10,000 people in the room. My job is not the comparison game. It's not results. We got to get a hold of this. You leave the results to God. You follow him. And yet we think that we're failures if we didn't have the numbers we wanted or we didn't have the accolades that we wanted or we didn't have the number of followers or likes that we wanted. And yet God is saying that doesn't matter. Remember at the cross, it was the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, and his mama and another woman standing there, a couple of women standing around with John. That's who was at the foot of the cross. Where's the 5,000 that he fed? Where are the multitudes who thronged him? people who were waiting for him along the way, none of them were there. The end of the Apostle Paul's life, he says, this guy left, 
this guy forsook me, this guy did me a whole lot of harm, only Luke's with me. Could you bring someone with you when you come, Timothy? Could you bring John Mark? See, we don't realize that it's not about the numbers. It's not about the results. You leave the results to God. Because today, there are more followers of Jesus than we could have ever dreamt. Today, there are more people reading the Apostle Paul's writing than any other writings on the planet right now. Number one best-selling author, superseding all the New York Times authors combined. Come on. That's success. That's the results that God wanted. But Paul didn't see that this side of heaven. Right? He had to wait until he got into his reward because it was just about obedience. John chapter 12, verse 26, Jesus says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor. You're not in this for results. You're in this for a reward from heaven. Let me say that again. You're not in this for results. You're in this for a reward from heaven. In 1904, William Borden, the heir to the Borden Dairy Estate, graduated from a Chicago high school, already a millionaire. His parents gave him a trip around the world, traveling through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe. And they gave Borden, during that time, it gave Borden a, a, a burden for the world's hurting people. Riding home, he said, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. When he made this decision, he wrote in the back of his Bible two words, no reserves. Turning down a high-paying job offer after graduating from Yale University, he entered two more words in his Bible, no retreats. After completing studies at Princeton Seminary, Borden sailed for China to work with Muslims, stopping first at Egypt for some preparation. While there, he was stricken with a cerebral meningitis and died within a month, never making it to China to become the missionary that he wanted to be. A waste, someone might say, but not in God's plan. In his Bible, underneath the words, no reserves and no retreats, he had written the words, no regrets. See, it wasn't about going to China and becoming the missionary and having converts and that sort of a thing. It was about simply following Jesus, being obedient to the call of God. Life isn't about the results as much as it is about obedience in God's eyes. And when we obey, we succeed when we obey, it may not always make sense. God will oftentimes ask you to do unusual things that you don't understand and sometimes don't even agree with. But when we obey him, then we can leave the results up to God. Our job is simply just to follow him. Being a disciple of Jesus is not easy, but it is the most rewarding thing that you will ever do because at the end of your life, you will hear the master, the father say, well done, my good and faithful servant. What did we learn tonight? We learned that following Jesus involves a deliberate choice, a definite denial, and a determined obedience. Let's pray together tonight. Father. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.